Uh, we're going to start a new series today called How to Neighbor. How to Neighbor. I think you're going to have a lot of fun with this and enjoy this, and I think it's going to challenge you. Um, and I think it's so pertinent for everything that's going on in our world. I think this word's really going to land for us and just be some real um, action steps that Jesus calls us to. And uh, I don't know about you, but um, I've always had a, been pretty close with neighbors. Um, it depends on kind of what neighborhood you grew up in, kind of where you're at. But I remember like um, uh, Mr. and Mrs. Capehart, the old couple that lived across the street. They were just real sweet and just very neighborly, if, you were, if you know what I mean. And then um, we had, uh, I think it was, um, I don't remember his name, but her name was Kathy. And uh, they were both in the medical field, like growing up as a kid. And then our immediate neighbors, um, uh, Robert and Sue, one day I came home with a tick, and, and, she, and Sue was a nurse as well. I came home with a tick in the back of my neck. My mom was, is not super good on that type of stuff or didn't know necessarily what it was, but she's like, I think this might be a tick in your neck. And it, I don't know if you know, but like in the, that's kind of the worst place to get it. Like it can get into your brainstem and like cause serious damage, if not death. And so she rushed me over next door, and Miss Sue and my mom, by dragging me over there, saved my life by digging this tick out of my neck. Like some of you in the medical field probably know there's significant stuff to, that can happen from that. So um, I, we've just had this close relationship with, with neighbors, and it's kind of been a sad couple of weeks for us because our neighbors, some of you that have been over to our home, like we, we share a, a driveway with our, our neighbors, and so we've just gotten close with them. Uh, Rick and Joyce, and they're just an amazing couple, and they say that they prayed us in there. They wanted just a, you know, a sweet young couple, and we've just hit it off, and we've been there for each other, and we've watched their cats, and by we, I mean Taryn and the boys have watched their cats <laughs> when they've been out of town, <laughs> and um, Taryn's, Taryn's turning into a plant lady, and she, she said the plant lady is the new cat lady, and so that's, she, she's... Um, uh, but anyway, we've mourned with them at the loss of their pets and the loss of parents, and they've rejoiced with us as our litter has become full and as our quiver has become full, and we've just rejoiced and mourned together, and it's been beautiful, and it's kind of a tough season because we're transitioning from these neighbors we've really met, and um, we try to take walks like a lot and get in the neighborhood and connect with our neighbors, and um, the, the, the truth of the matter is, and I know most of you are um, kind of in my age demographic, there's, there's um, uh, some of you that are, that are in an older di- uh, demographic, but you probably still would not remember this as much. It's probably been 50, 60 years ago, and it's been a transitional. It hasn't been like one thing to the next, but there was a time in which our screen doors were on the front of the house, not on the back patio. There was a time when our porches were built on the front of the house and not the back of the house. There's a time when we did actual life with actually the people we lived next to. There, there was a time in which that happened, and I think the screen door placement actually says a lot about what's happened in our society in the past generation. It's that we don't do relationships great all the time, and we've become fearful uh, and, and a little bit more closed in. And what I think is so beautiful about the local church and what I think you embody And I'm not correcting, I'm just challenging to go further in what I'm declaring because as I look around this room, I just think about you guys embody this well. And I'm just challenging to go further in it today is that we would be a a people that would not only reach the nations as God has called us to go and make disciples of all nations, but we don't jump off to the nations and not make a difference in our neighborhood. Um, Jesus has called us to 
to, to not just be a good neighbor, but to love our neighbor. And I want to present a couple of texts that I think will lay the foundation for what Jesus might tell us on a morning like this with everything going on in our culture and the battles that are happening on different sides and from people like me and you that just seem like, like what now? Like, is it, what, what's the path forward? And, and Jesus has painted us a beautiful and simple path forward that I think will teach us deeper and deeper what it means to live this life. Um, and, it's, and, and really the, what we begin to understand as what Galatians 2.20 says is that it's not us living it at all, but it is Christ living it through us. And so I want to look at two texts today. We'll, we'll spend just a few moments in Matthew chapter 22 and then spend the rest of our time in Luke chapter 10. Let's begin with Matthew chapter 22. And you'll know both of these texts. They're both extremely familiar texts, like even people that haven't attended church or picked up the Bible much in their life or at all would have known about these stories. Before we dive into the text, let me just kind of paint a picture of ancient Middle East society that Jesus was living in. And um, at, at this time, where in our culture, like time and money are the most scarce resources, right? Everybody just need more time and money, right? Life would change. At this time, the, the, in Jesus' time, the most scarce resource was honor, actually. It was honor, and people weren't fighting to get hours at work. They were fighting to be honored in the community. And there was actually, like the, it was like this totem pole. And so how this was sorted out within communities and within the political, social, and religious elite was through um, what I can only describe as ancient yo mama jokes. Um, I don't know about you, but like, I grew up like in middle school, like there was like yo mama jokes. That, that was a big thing. Yo mama, so whatever. Um, and, and I can just, kind of, it, it, I picture this scene every time because what happened in that, everybody would go, Ooh, like win the best, like you mom and Joe, and then you just try to top it. There was actually like uh, Wilmer Valderrama actually had a show on TV one time. It's called Yo Mama. It was stupid, and I loved it. It was like completely stupid. <laughs> it, it was amazing, and so it was just guys. And it was a big crowd around, and you just tried to have the best Yo Mama joke, and then you kind of earned the respect of everybody and felt like you were above them. Well, that's probably the best kind of description for what was happening at Jesus. Like the religious elite, the, the Sadducees and the Pharisees, experts in the law, would come and try to like stump him with the best question. It was like the Obama joke of Jesus' time. And um, I, I want to look at two places in Scripture that talks about that, and we'll pick up here first, but I think that sets the, the context for where we're at. So hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, I, he's averted that one. The Pharisees got together and one of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two Simple kind of passage, you've probably heard it a dozen times if you've been around church for very long, and if not, you've probably still probably heard love your neighbor as yourself, and Jesus is quoting Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 and 5, which is what's known as the Jewish Shema, which is, uh, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, 
Love the Lord your God. Deuteronomy chapter 6. So this has been around for a long time. Jesus is quoting and pointing them. What's the most important? He's like, it's the thing that you say every single day to start your day. This is like the first prayer of the day for Jews. The Shema. They, they start their prayer. He's like, what's, it's the first. It's literally the first that they pray every day. Um, and, they, and sometimes we just, we know what's true, but we, we kind of get in the routine and we kind of forget its importance. And so Jesus says, this is the first and the greatest, he says, it's the protos, which means it's the first in line of your prayers. And it, it, it has that in class. And, and then megas, which really means of weight, of mass. Like, it's the, it's the biggest. Like, this carries more weight than anything. Basically, get this right, or as Jesus said in another place, seek first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness, and everything else will be added to you. Get this and everything else is, you're going to be good. Like, everything flows from this point. And so many times uh, I'll sit across the table from, um, uh, from some of you and you've got a very big problem and I have to give you a really simple answer, which is <laughs> love Jesus. Like, fall in love with Jesus and, like, things come into perspective. And I have better wisdom to get at that time that in my flesh I want to give you. And I could chase all these rabbit trails, but we must start with the protos and the megas, which is the first and the greatest. Because everything flows out of that. And he says the second one's like it. Like it, it's, it's very similar in nature. And he's quoting Leviticus 19.18. And so many times we look at the Old Testament like God was angry and then he sent Jesus and then he was not angry. Okay, and, and we have this kind of wacky view of the scriptures, but God has been loving and his plan has been redemption and communion with mankind from the very beginning. Um, it, it just might be your perception has changed the way you, you look at the scriptures. But in Leviticus 19, 18, like in the world we're living in, this is a, a text, like who would think we need to go to Leviticus 19, 18? We'd think, let's stay away from Leviticus. But he actually says, don't seek out revenge for yourself. Don't seek out revenge. Don't. Don't think more fighting is going to solve this. He says, love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus is quoting this. He's reminding them of this, what they've, text they've forgotten about. Leviticus 19, 18, to love neighbor as ourself. And I think that's a word we need to hear today. And I think the second interesting thing there that I think Jesus says is that everything hangs on this. Like Jews had a lot of laws. Like we don't live under the law. Um, but they had a lot of laws, like 500 plus. The Ten Commandments are, are kind of wrapped up in like the essence of those. And what's really interesting about the Ten Commandments, just as an aside, if you look at the first four, what are those really about? They're really about our love for God. And the second six are really about our relationship with other people. Like, don't have any other gods before me. Don't take my name in vain. Trust me and take a day off because I did it and I set that example and I want you to be like me. And then the next six are things like, you know, don't steal and, and, and don't look after, you know, don't lust after your neighbor's wife and don't kill people, like honor the sanctity of life. And so love for God and love for, it was there all along and Jesus, it's all been embodied and he's saying, look, everything, everything the prophets have written, every law that's listed, it hangs as if it were this light right here. And every law and every word the prophet just hangs from these two things. And so if you've been like me and just trying to figure out what's the path forward, or maybe you've, you've got some situations that you're trying to think through how to handle these things, let's start, always start with this. 
love how, how am I loving God? What's my, am I loving him with my mind intellectually only and not giving of my strength and my soul? And, and how's that flowing into our neighbor? You see, like a love for God, like a pure love for God will bring about in itself a profound and profuse love of neighbor. It's not an accident. When we purely love God and like we've seen the depth of his love for us, right? That's what Jesus said. We love, Paul said, we love because he first loved us. When we see how much he has loved us, it changes. We respond in love to him and, and it just happens. A pure love of God flows to a, a pure, um, profound and profuse love of neighbor. And so I want to set that text just as a foundation for us and that everything hangs on this love for God. And so if you're going to find yourself this week having trouble loving someone, and I bet, I, I think just God just keeps this in our life. He keeps someone in our life that is difficult to love, right? Um, I would say, let's all say our person out loud, but then they might be sitting close to you. And so they might be in the room and all of a sudden we've got dissension in the church and pastor caused it. So we're not going to do that, but just shout that in your mind right now, you know? Think of, like, there's probably a person in your life, and you know what's funny? Is when you work to get that person out of your life, you move from that job, guess what? You'll find another Susie at the other job. You'll find another Dave at the other job. You know what I mean? You'll, you'll find one. You will. It'll happen. You can't run from, God puts these people in your life um, to, to, to shape and to prune our character. And we can... And we can begin to, to see uh, what a blessing they are in our life because they call us to purity of heart and to a deeper love of our neighbor and really in need of a deeper love for the Lord there. And so I want to flip over to Luke chapter 10. And it's a very familiar passage too, and we'll spend the rest of our time here. You know this one. It's the Good Samaritan, right? Even if you've never read the Bible, you've heard about the Good Samaritan. A very simple text. We're going to read it in its entirety and then we'll dialogue through that. And I just want to give you a few thoughts, a few challenges for, for our heart and where we're at as we, we step into this community that, in this world that is um, largely divided. And we're, we're, we're the church, and this should be the, the, the most unified place in our cities and taking that light into our communities. And so let's read Luke chapter 10, beginning with verse 25 through verse 37. On one occasion, this is another occasion here, where an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So he's asking a little bit of a different question here. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, what is written in the law and how do you read it? Basically, what have I already said? So many times we're asking questions and God's like, what have I already said? My son keeps asking me new questions like, what have we already said? So God might be doing that with you right now. And how do you read it? What's your interpretation of that? Maybe you know what's written, but God wants to give you another interpretation on what's already been said. He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly. Ding, ding, ding. Jesus replied, do this and you'll live. And basically, Jesus was saying, cool, dude, you got the answer right, but getting the answer right intellectually does not give you life, and you don't come to experience life. And here's the sad truth 
about Christians in America and, and people who claim to be Christ followers, but the fruit's not there and the, the sense of joy is not there. You ever met somebody like they love Jesus and they know the Bible, but they don't love neighbor, like they don't get that part? Like the, you ever met somebody like that? Right, for most people on the outside looking in, that's the perception for all of us. <laughs> they just take that stereotype and just throw that paint bucket and it covers us all. And we, f- and we feel judged <laughs> then, and so that's a whole other message. But um, what, what we've got to see here is, is that God is, is doing something in us in the process. And, and he's calling us to something more than just head knowledge. Cool, you got the right answer intellectually. You're not going to understand life. You will think you have obtained life, but you will not feel like you've obtained life. Because Jesus says it's when you do this and you'll live and so many of us, sadly, like because we're unwilling to take a step beyond the boat, because we're unwilling to follow him when it gets uncomfortable or it gets difficult or awkward, we don't cross that threshold that is a pretty kind of scary threshold. And we don't under ever get to experience life. Let's finish out the text here. I said I was going to read it straight through and... I get excited about the scriptures, sorry. Um, But he wanted to justify himself. This is interesting. So he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? Sorry, I said I was going to read through and I just can't do it. He, he, um, it's just not my flow. Like I love to just take and like just rip everything that's there because it's there. He wanted to justify himself. How many times do we do this with God? Like, yeah, but God, you're talking, like he was hoping that he would say like his neighbor would be the other Jews that were, looked like him and that had the same skin color and who talked like him and who had the same status. That's what he's hoping Jesus will respond to him with. He's hoping that it'll be a comfortable answer and he's looking to justify himself. Who's my neighbor, right? It's this guy right here. You know, he looks like me. No. And Jesus just gives him this story as an answer. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And when he was attacked by robbers, they stripped him of his clothes, they beat him, and they went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. And so too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, he came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity, or other translations will say compassion. We'll, we'll talk about that in a minute. And he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and he put the man on his own donkey, and he brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you have. And Jesus asked the man the question here at the end. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus said, go and do likewise. And I just want to give you a very short rest of this message. That's for us what it looks like for us to go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. So let's talk about this a little bit. It's an incredible text, powerful text. I want to just give you four quick things here. It's on the version app if you want the notes on it. Um, the first thing is I think we've got to, what Jesus is calling us to is to be willing to be interrupted. It's where this starts. Be willing to be interrupted. Um, I'm a, there's two, really two types of people. I think there's task-oriented people 
and there's people-oriented people. And some of us are a split and a mix, and some of us have grown in one area and developed another area. How many, how many of you would say naturally, like in your core, you're more people-oriented than you are task-oriented? Okay, like a good 50-50. If you're more task-oriented, where are you at? Okay, there's my people. There's my people. I'm, I, I'm naturally more task-oriented. Like, you would know it by my to-do list. Like, those that sit in a meeting with me and they're, like, overlooking my to-do list and my agendas, like, my agenda for everything. And um, it sounds really, like, bad when you say the word agenda. I need a new word because it feels like I go into, like, this is my, you know what I mean? I've got something behind it. That's stupid. That's in my head. Um, do what? Yeah, my plan. This is my plan. thinking. Um, there's two types of people, and I think for, for those that are task-oriented, that you're in my camp and like naturally, that doesn't mean you don't care about people or love people or haven't grown in that, but naturally, you tend to be a little more task-oriented. This is a big one for you, because it messes up my flow, and it's something that God's shaped me deeply in, um, and, and here's what I've learned is that my task-oriented thing needs to be spirit-led, in fact, of what uh, Paul said in Galatians, to keep in step with the Spirit. I don't want to step out of what God is doing. And, and there's this old quote that, that's gone around many times that the interruption sometimes is the itinerary. And the disruption might be your destiny. And some, what if we're missing that? What if we're missing what's actually on the itinerary because we've got our own thing going on? And so be willing to be interrupted. I, I think for these three people, all three of them, a priest, a Levite, and what we know of the Samaritan man, he was probably a trader of some sort, actually a probably wealthy person, probably had some money. Um, he had oil, he had wine, and he had money on him, and he was traveling from one town to another. It's not for sure, but that's probably our best guess, that he was a Samaritan trader. They all were busy. They all had one place. They were going from one place to the next. I don't know about you, but like for me, when I travel, I like to get from point A to point B as fast as possible. I think with most of us in our life, like when we decide we're going to do this, we want to get from here to there as fast as possible. Um, I was just talking with my mom this week, and there was one time I went to college nine hours from my hometown, and there was one time I was coming home from um, uh, just around Chattanooga, Tennessee, and coming home to uh, my hometown just outside of Tampa usually takes about nine hours. And I shocked my mom and angered my mom when I arrived about seven hours and 20 minutes into my journey. Um, we won't do the math on that right now. But I, was, I like to get from point A to point B. And so just to say I, I, I get that. But the thing that God's taught me over time is that the first thing I need to be willing to be interrupted with in my busyness, in the things I've got on my plate, is being willing to be interrupted by him. Like, I, I just think of, like, God just knocking on a door. I just have to have the visual for me, like, knocking on the door. And, like, we're asking questions all the time, even if they're not said, like, the spirits, you know, that there's always questions within us about something. I just think of God just knocking on the door, and we're just, like, ignoring it because we're busy on our own stuff. And we've actually missed the most important thing Jesus said in John chapter 15 that my sheep know my voice, and I know them, and, and they follow me. My sheep will follow me. John um, chapter 10, verse 27, my sheep know my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I just want to encourage you this week, challenge you this week, like what, 
Is there something you need to tune out in order to be willing to be interrupted? Sometimes it's just making space. For me, it's been shutting the radio off. Turn the talk radio off if you're a nerd like me, or turn, um, or turn the, the music off and just say, God, I'm just I'm listening. I'm just listening. Sometimes we're so busy talking and so busy doing that we just don't be and, and hear what God is speaking to us. And so these, the one person here who was willing to be interrupted was the Samaritan. They were all on this journey. And I think that's an interesting thing about what God might have for us this week is many times we think, oh, I've got to go out and do this great thing. Most of the time, it's physically convenient. God brings people in your path. If you say, God, will you like, let somebody come across my path that I can, I can be a good Samaritan to, that I can be a light to, like, I promise you, God will answer that prayer 100% of the time. Like, it may not happen in the next five minutes, but you just give it time. Like, it'll show up, trust me, and you'll be like, oh, wait, that was God. That was cool. Um, I see where you're at. I see you. Um, and, like, just being willing to be interrupted and, like, going out with your day and just saying, God, I'm, I'm ready. Just, like, bring somebody and, like, I'm going to love them. Um, the second thing is to, um, to be willing to get um, your hands dirty. Be willing to get your hands dirty. There is, I was talking about kind of the societal honor thing. There was this, there was basically this informal or non-written um, rule. You guys know like in baseball, there's like a bunch of rules that actually aren't rules, but they're rules. Um, like you don't flip the bat after you hit it, and like people get upset about that. And we're like, it's not a rule, but it's kind of this unwritten rule. Well, there was this kind of unwritten list of of people that were on what they call like a purity list. And like the people at the top of the purity list were Levites and priests. Like they were at the very top. Like, and what that meant is that the higher you went up this kind of unwritten list is that you couldn't do certain things. Like, like a priest could never touch a dead body or a person that was half dead. Like that wasn't something... They did, and a Levite would, um, would not be seen with a woman in public ever, like talking, even just like a random, hey, see you in Walmart, wouldn't have a conversation there. There was just lots of extra purity stuff in place. A Samaritan wasn't even on the list. They were, they were considered like less than, you, I, I've talked about this before, but if you don't know, like the relationship between Jews and Samaritans is like rough. Like they didn't consider each other humans, like they just... They, they had derogatory terms, like, towards one another. Sounds like some stuff we've got going on in our nation right now. And Jesus, like, time after time, not just this time, but many times, is, like, painting a whole new picture of what relations should be like and, and what he's called us to. And the, here's this person, like, half dead, and I think... Maybe you've never come across someone that's been half dead. I actually, one night, we were home alone at my parents' house when I was uh, like like 17 or 18, and um, they, they were gone. It was me and some buddies that were hanging out at the house, and this guy comes to our door um, beaten. Like his face is like bloodied and black and blue, and you can see on his neck that he has been choked by something. Like he had, and come to find out he, he was Spanish and, and, and spoke um, no English. And so I'm trying to conversate in my English. For those of you that went to Peru, it, or my Spanish is not great. For those of you that went to Peru with me, 
Uh, it's, I can survive, sort of, but um, this uh, was, was a tough you know, moment for me to understand what he was saying when he's in severe help. Um, I didn't know what to do. I, I made him a ham sandwich, brought him in the house, and gave him some water. I didn't know what to do. But he'd been choked by a belt. Like, they had stu- like some people had come and beaten him and robbed him and left him in a field, and he'd been passed out for hours. He didn't know how long. Uh, and so this is the closest scenario I had to someone who was half dead, um, and then, but for most of us, we don't come into those encounters every day, but we do have this encounter every day in which we see people who are breathing, but they're just kind of don't understand life, like, and, and aren't living. They haven't understand eternal life. Um, it would probably be the deepest truth of it. And we encounter those people all the time. Like, it, you can go anywhere and see someone who is half dead. Like, they're physically alive but spiritually dying. And that's the people that we encounter. And not only do we not need to be willing to, to be interrupted, but we need to be willing to get our hands dirty. That was not something the priests and Levites, they were going to cross the road, but they're right in front. The Samaritan was really willing to, to lean down and do, do the dirty work. And, and I, for those of you across this room that serve and are, are part of this community on a regular basis, I love you and I'm so appreciative of how you are willing to get your hands dirty. If that's physical in um, taking care of this property or if it's physical uh, or if it's spiritual and emotional in taking time for those um, that really need someone that, that, are, that are half dead um, to just continue with that. Um, I, I love that part about you, so let's continue in that and continue to strive and be willing to, to lean in when others lean out. Um, the third thing is to be willing with compassion. That's what we see with this Samaritan guy. You know, this word that we, comes up in the NIV is pity. The, the interesting thing that they actually saw that pity and compassion came from like the deepest recesses. Like, in fact, they, they believed that it came from your bowels. So if you were so moved in a situation, like it just made you sick. You ever seen something and like you had such deep pity and disgust over a situation that, that it almost kind of made you sick to your stomach? Like, I just can't eat tonight. Sick over that? That's kind of like this understanding why they kind of had this thought that it just comes from the deepest recesses of our stomach. And there's things in our world right now that are making you sick and that are making me sick and that are making God sick. And they should. But Jesus did not tell us, like, the answer for that is to go get revenge and to have anger about it. And, and even if you're not having public anger about it, I, like, way more than Christians are admitting, they've got way more anger issues than we're going to confess. And we're, we're angry about it. And, like, that's okay. Like, God can handle our anger. But, like, that anger should be driven towards compassion. If not, it has not been touched by Jesus yet. It has not been transformed by Jesus yet. If it stays in that state of anger, and, and there's a message somewhere back on our thing. If you're dealing with anger issues, and I've got a, a, quite the testimony of how God has just delivered me from rage. My mom was talking about that this too. Like, that boy used to be, have some anger issues because we're dealing with that with Beckett right now. He's six and, like, He's got his daddy in him, you know, so we're having to work through that. But God's done an incredible work. There's a message back in the podcast if you're really needing some some more on that. But we needed to be touched by Jesus into this place. But that compassion, everything hangs from our love for God. And when we realize, when we see ourselves as that dead person, I don't see that person. I don't see what's on the outside. I don't see the blood. I don't see the bitterness. I don't see the resentment. I don't see what everybody else just sees. 
what I, I try to see is how God saw me and how Jesus saw us, which was half dead, like having done nothing worthy of his grace, yet still he gave it to me. Like embarrassed and ashamed of what I've done and what I've gone through, naked, if you will. And here Jesus met me, and it's that that inspires our compassion and what Jesus has done for us into the depths of our heart. What's really interesting, just as a side note, um, is that Jesus' audience, who he would be preaching to here, do you know who Jesus' audience would most likely have compassion on in this story? It's not the half-bed man that all of us would be like, oh my gosh, what do we got to do? Um, and, it's not, and it's not the two, um, the Levite or the priest, and it's not the Samaritan. They would have the most compassion on the robbers who beat this guy. Because they actually looked at this guy, if he was a traitor, most likely, they actually looked at him as a thief. And he was a Samaritan who was not even on the purity list. They would actually look way down on him. They would actually have compassion on the the thieves who came and robbed and beat this guy. And that sounds like, that's crazy. Well, here's the, the deal. Most people who were peasants there were peasants because their land was stolen from them. At some point, people would work and they were, had a, an allotment of land that they would live on and work and, and meet their own needs through the land and through work. And that was taken from them. So people actually had pity and compassion on these robbers because they just know they're just doing what they need to. That's just kind of a weird aside. I don't know that there's any crazy spiritual that I have revelation on, but it's just really interesting. And we talked about the task-oriented people and, and the being willing to be interrupted to the other half, like people-oriented people. Um, God has given you a gift, just as he has with the task-oriented, and it fits, all fits into the body of Christ beautifully. We, we help each other. Um, God has given you a gift of compassion and mercy and love for people and that, that's genuine. I just believe you in that. Um, but the enemy loves to turn that into a curse. He, he, he loves what, the, what makes you sick to your stomach, stomach for that to turn into anger, to turn in where you, you get jaded about everything in the world and you stop caring about people. The enemy loves to take which is a blessing in how God has created you and the beauty that you, 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 it burns and it breaks your heart when you see what you see in the world. The enemy loves to turn that into a curse, but don't allow that to happen. Read Matthew um, chapter uh, 11 here with me, verses, I believe 28 and 29, maybe 30 that we have up there. Take my yoke upon you. He says, come to me, all who are weary just before this. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle, I'm humble at heart, and you're going to find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. It's Jesus saying, look, I want you to bear one another's burdens, but bring it to me. Like, don't keep hanging on uh, with what's going on with mom and dad, with what's going on with brother and sister, with what's going on with your neighbor. Like, you're not called to carry that load by yourself. Like, when we bear it, we physically help, as the Samaritan did here. But spiritually, emotionally, we bring those things to the Lord and let him uh, meet our needs in that. And lastly, we'll wrap up here, is... um, being willing to sacrifice is the fourth thing. Be willing to sacrifice. That's what the Samaritan did, right? That's what the Samaritan did. He, he came. He saw a need. He saw some pain. He had compassion on it. 
He was willing for his travels to be interrupted, and he took the time to actually sacrifice time and money. He set aside oil, he set aside wine here, he set aside money, he went and took money out and found some money to, to take care of this guy. Go, he went above and beyond, if you will. He went the extra mile. He, sac- he sacrificed. We don't know how much of a sacrifice, but he, he gave of himself. And what's interesting about this story is that it's really, it's not just a random story. Jesus is preaching a message about who he is. It's a parabolic message that Jesus is declaring I'm not leaving you guys, even you think you're righteous and experts, I'm not leaving you where you're at. I I saw you half dead and bloodied, robbed and ashamed. I I saw you there and like I'm not leaving you there. Jesus is declaring of himself that I'm that, he's that Samaritan. That he comes and he stops and he cares for the one in which everybody else crosses the road. Jesus, God in his perfect plan made a way. As Jesus coming to us to, to meet us right where we were at. And for just a moment, before we go any further, I just want you just to remember where you were at when you met Jesus. And maybe you're here today and you're like, man, I don't know anything about this Jesus deal, but, but it sounds like this may be that moment for me, that day where I'm understanding the grace of God and his love for me. And that's exactly what Jesus did in, in our lives. And he laid it all down. You see, the oil is actually representative of the Holy Spirit here. It's representative of the Holy Spirit that, that his Holy Spirit comes on us and helps heal us and guide us to truth that we didn't know about Christ. The wine is obviously representative of his blood, just like we'll come in a few moments and declare at this table. His blood that was poured out for us. He came and he bandaged and he healed. He did not leave us in the state he found us. He, his desire was to make us whole. And so he brought you to the inn that might look something like this room, a body of believers, in which you're not alone. There's people across the room and on the road with you to say, hey, we're going we're gonna to get through this and we're going to make it. And he's given us this life together. It's just this beautiful picture of what Jesus has done for us. And so he's calling us forward this morning, I believe, to, to be willing, to be willing to, be, to, to sacrifice, to lay down some money, to, to lay down some time for the one that would come before us. Jesus said this of himself in John chapter 15. We looked at this text, I believe last week and the week before some. No greater love than this, than a man that would lay down his life for his friends. There's nothing greater. And an apt response of what Jesus has done for us, that's, we just return our lives to him and say, God, it's all yours. Like every moment of every day, every cent of every dollar, it's yours, God. I'm just a, a vessel. I'm just a steward. It's not me that's living. It's you that's living through me. And I'm calling us to faithfulness, and I'm calling us to willingness. Um, this past week, there was an anniversary, a death anniversary of a, a man who's been a hero in the church around the world for a long time. His, his name is Maximilian Kolbe. I love that name, Maximilian. It's awesome. Um, he was a Polish priest, actually. 
He provided shelter for thousands of Jews in his friary and was an active voice against the Nazi violence. He was arrested by the German Gestapo uh, and imprisoned at the well-known camp of Auschwitz. When a fellow prisoner escaped from the camp, the Nazis selected 10 other prisoners to be killed in reprisal. And as they were lined up to die, one of them, one of the 10, began to cry, my wife, my children, I'll never see them again. And at this, Maximilian stepped forward and he asked to die in his place. His request, request was granted and he led the other men in song and prayer as they awaited their deaths, right? Uh, Maximilian, he also had li- lived in Japan uh, and he founded a, a monastery on the outskirts of Nagasaki and four years after his martyrdom on August 9, uh, 1945, uh, the atomic bomb was dropped, of course, on Nagasaki, but his monastery miraculously survived that. So when Christians around the world think of of Maximilian and celebrate this this hero of the faith. Uh, it follows one week after Nagasaki Day, and so each year we we spend a little bit thinking about the worst of that human beings are capable of and the best that they're capable of. Um, you can't do everything. If you feel like me, it feels like a, a lot, and like what, what next? And we can't do everything. We can't um, help everybody, but we can help the one that's in front of us. Um, don't be overwhelmed by the call to go, but just be willing to be interrupted. Um, be willing to, to get your hands dirty. Be willing to, to sacrifice and be ready with that compassion that comes out of moments like this, that we're going to bring ourselves to the feet of Jesus in just a moment and just think of his great compassion on us. And it transforms us, and all of a sudden, that pure love of God is now flowing out into love of neighbor. And so that's what Jesus calls us to today. And the world, not to, to, to turn to anger and revenge, but to just be a light in a dark place. And I, I was just reminded this week as I was preparing just that old little kid song, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine. So, Father, I'm just telling you, just... Let it shine this week. Let it shine. Let it out.